Hey, one more thing before you go. Hello, I'm Diane Hurst, Michael's wife and co-host of the podcast. While he's recovering from his surgery, I will be guest hosting this episode. And in this episode, we are going to have a conversation with a woman who, in the midst of the largest fire in the state of Colorado at the time, set up a fundraiser, firefighter support system, and a network to assist the people being evacuated from the area. She did all this while the flames were literally inches from burning down her own home. My family and I lived in the area at the time and evacuated our belongings from the area and helped with some of the recovery. I am your host, and this is That Thing About Living Through Wildfire. My guest in this episode is a friend of ours, Tracy Bennett, who lives in the middle of Pike National Forest in the center of the known universe in Divide, Colorado, with their adopted pup, Tinkerbell, a whole herd of feral cats, a white-fronted Amazon dinosaur, and two amphibians. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking with you about this event. That Can you believe it was almost 20 years ago? I can't. It seems like yesterday. It, it was uh, scary for everyone, but you were really right in the thick of it. And we will talk about that because you did an amazing job. We were very proud of you. Thank you. And still are. Yes, it's going to be an interesting conversation reminiscing back to a time that, you know, the Woodland Park and Divide area that changed many lives. I imagine there's still a lot of people who live there who were there at the time. And as you said, almost 20 years, I, I imagine there's going to be some feelings that come up and uh, a lot of conversations around town, I would imagine. It's really when other fires are happening in other areas that it seems to affect us the most. Uh, another forest fire here in our area. It's not going to happen in our lifetime. We still have uh, black trees, dead trees around, big wide open areas with no growth. And it'll be that way for a long time. It'll take a while for the forest to recover. Yeah, we. I know the kids and I had gone up uh, after it was over and uh, helped with some replanting efforts for a few days. But you certainly did. You had a much bigger role in the recovery efforts and right in the middle of it all. And uh, it's just, it's amazing what this woman did during this time. Let me just tell you, it was it was pretty incredible. And she worked day and night during this whole thing. As I said, the, your, your house was right in it, right in the thick of it. But I'll, we'll get into that. So um, we have known each other for a long time. I was thinking about this earlier. I'm thinking we've known each other since about 1996, 1997. Does that sound about right? Um, it may have even been sooner than that because our kids danced together at Miss Kathy's Dance Academy many, many years ago when they were right. I was young thinking, and cute. I was and thinking they were. <laughs> I know they were so cute. I was thinking that our kids were seven and five, but maybe they were younger when they started that. I'm so old. I can't remember anything anymore. Oh, it's terrible. But yes, our kids did grow up together and danced for years together. Uh, the Nutcracker brings back a lot of memories. Every time I hear the the music from the Nutcracker, I go right back like it like it was happening. A lot of fun we had. Kenta can still do some of those dance moves when that music comes on. I bet. Yeah, I think I haven't actually asked the girls if they can still. I know I'm sure they can, though. And I'm and some of the uh, um, the Elvis review show that they did, you know, and they they did the dances to the Elvis music. Every time they hear it, I think they they start doing the dance moves in their head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so, had a lot of fun during those years. Well, let's let's we did. We absolutely did. So um, 
I guess we'll start with the Heyman Fire. And for those of you who may not know, uh, the Heyman Fire was the was a forest fire started on June 8th, 2002, 35 miles northwest of Colorado Springs, Colorado, and 22 miles southwest of Denver, Colorado, and was for 18 years the largest wildfire in the state's recorded history at over 138,114 acres. Hundreds of firefighters fought the fast-moving fire, which caused nearly $40 million in firefighting costs, burned 133 homes, over 600 structures, and forced the evacuation of 5,340 people. It also led to the deaths of five firefighters who died in a vehicle crash and one woman who suffered a fatal asthma attack after smoke inhalation. Oh, I remember that smoke. Oh, it, it does. It kind of brings back, you know, I'm sure more for you and for John than for us, you were really more in it than we were. We were in town, but we were still affected by the smoke. But I, I, just the feelings of PTSD almost to a point. Well, it is. It d- brings back all of those. Me- it just brings back all of those memories. I mean, a campfire smell is a certain smell when you're sitting around a campfire. And I love the smell of a campfire, but the smoke wafting through the air coming from another forest fire when it just inundates everything around your home, in your home, uh, inside, outside, all you do is smell the smoke. It just has a different trigger effect on you as far as, wow, where's that at? what's going on, who's it affecting. Uh, like I said, I don't have to worry about it affecting me anymore, even though the insurance companies, believe it or not, treat everybody around here as being in a wildfire area. They don't take into consideration that, oh, your forest is already all burned down. You're not going to have that uh, that problem anymore. But the cost of the fires, fighting the fires, and then the insurance companies having to pay folks for uh, damages that were done to their homes and property, that's been the most recent uh, biggest impact on us because all of the insurance companies keep canceling our homeowner's insurance, even though we have absolutely no concern of ever being in a forest fire ever again during our lifetime. Wow. And, and it's almost 20 years ago and they're, and they're doing that. Well, Still. you know, uh, it's an industry of money, right? Yep. <laughs> and they, yeah, <laughs> that's probably a whole nother episode. <laughs> yeah. We could talk but, a lot um, about that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you probably remember, but how were you notified about the fire when it when it first started? Well, we actually, at that point in time, had worked closely with Java Junction, which was a local coffee shop in Woodland Park. Uh, both John and I had been baristas and worked in the coffee shop itself. On that particular weekend of June 8th and 9th, which the 9th is John's birthday, so this was a great birthday present for him that year, we were participating in the Holistic mm-hmm. Health Fair that Uh, had been going on annually in the Woodland Park area. And we uh, went in and served coffee and John would make uh, lunches, uh, menus both days that we sold to the people that attended the function as well as the vendors that were there. And we had a pretty good reputation for having great food. So we always made a lot of food (laughs) to take in for that event. So we were in town at that Mm -hmm. event on Saturday. That was Saturday the 8th. And as we're driving home back up the highway from Woodland Park, Uh, We actually, our house is located uh, 15 miles north of Divide at the intersection of Highway 24 and and 67 there in Divide. Uh, We could see smoke on the horizon. Mm -hmm. It was like, hmm, at that point in time, Colorado was in an extreme drought. Uh, Things were super dry. There was a fire ban everywhere. No no fireworks, no campfires, no outside fires, no burning of trash. Uh, they were even getting to the point that they were limiting you 
being able to turn on your propane grill on your back deck. Uh, everybody was so worried about a big right. fire happening. And as we were coming home up the hill, mm-hmm. we could see smoke in the distance. And what both of us are like, wow, that's not a good sign. And we drove the back road up to Hackett Mountain area. There's kind of a, a an area up there where there's an old quartz mine. And we used to drive up there with the kids so they could go pick up quartz rocks. And we looked out across mm-hmm. the river because the Platte River runs through there. And we could see the smoke over towards the Lake George area. And our thinking at that time was that, ah, that's over there. Uh, it's probably not going to cross the river. We should be okay. So we're not going to worry about it too much. Came back home, went to bed, got up the next day, Sunday morning, headed in to uh, go back in to work Sunday for the for the Holistic Health Fair. And as we came through Divide, the Divide Volunteer Fire Department parking lot was full. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> maybe this is a little bigger than we thought it yeah. was. So we pulled into the fire department. Not a good sign. And said, hey, what's going on? And they said, you know, uh, we have a chance for really high winds today. In fact, they ended up being over 60 mile an hour gust winds that day. And so we're just prepping in advance in case we're called to help with the fire. We didn't know any history about how the fire started, you know, any of that political and and all the hoopla that went on with that. We didn't know any of that at that point in time. And we said, well, you know what, guys, here's our cell phone number. We're going to be in Woodland Park at the Holistic Health Fair. If anything happens that we should know about, because we're 15 miles from here up at Wildhorn Ranch, uh, give us a call and let us know. So we went ahead and headed on to Woodland, made coffee, served muffins. John's working on the grill, making his chicken skewers, which everybody loved. And and, and about noon, we get a phone call and they're like, you guys need to get to your house now and get whatever things you want to try to save and get your animals and get back out. And it was like, what? Are you serious? So, I, I, that's how we found out. We got a call. I mean, it takes us it takes us 45 minutes just to drive to the house. There. No, 45 minutes to drive right, to the house. Right. Kenta was gone. Our daughter was gone at the time. She was in eighth grade at the middle school and she went on the European mm-hmm. trip. We had sold, I can't even tell you how many Krispy right. Kreme donuts to send her on that trip. <laughs> And she was over in Europe. And all I could think of was how traumatic it would be to a a young teenager to lose all of her stuff. And my only thought was getting to the house, getting the dogs and the cats and whatever else I could grab. And Kinta's stuff, (laughs) her stuff was very important to me. Right. So I actually got on the phone, called some friends and said, hey, we're heading to the house. They say the fire could be coming our direction. We need to get there now. And we had friends come out. Our neighbors were gone. Uh, we contacted people to come out to get their horses. We couldn't get in their house and get anything, but we were able to get their horses moved. And we raced out Mm -hmm. here and just started throwing stuff in boxes and filling up all the cars that were here and driving away. John stayed at the house and our uh, now neighbor, who was our good friend at the time, uh, Jim Russell stayed here with him, you know, just make sure everything's okay. And we won't leave until it becomes a war zone. That was their quote, a war zone. So I drive away. I didn't even have a clean pair of underwear. (laughs) I I didn't pack any of my stuff. I I got all Kenta's important stuff. It's all in boxes. And went and stayed at a friend's house. And so that's how it all started. And that was on Sunday, June 9th on John's birthday. The next day, the winds picked up. The 
it was the huge smoke plume. And I'm sure you guys remember that when the fire is crowning and it's really hot, it creates this huge cataclysm Mm -hmm. of smoke up in the, in the sky. That's just huge. It looks like giant thunder heads and thunder clouds, but it's not, it's, it's smoke Mm -hmm. from the fire itself. And it was huge. And the choppers, the, they had choppers that were coming into the, our little wild horde lake right here by our house that were scooping out buckets of water and taking them and then heading back mm-hmm. to the northwest from our house and uh, dropping buckets mm-hmm. of water. At that point, do you remember how close it was to you? It was still miles away. It was still over on the other Sorry. side of Lutheran Valley Ranch. So, I mean, miles Okay. In respect, it depends on which way the wind's blowing, how close it was. But it had jumped right. the river, right. and it was on our side of the river at that point in time. So there's nothing between us except for right. trees in the river. So when the smoke mm-hmm. plume collapsed and the ash started falling like snow, John and Jr. loaded up in the truck, and they left. Eddie, I think they got me a pair of underwear? No. <laughs> I had no, no clean underwear. <laughs> they sat here well, that's always the way, right? You're the mom. They you sat, don't have all uh, your stuff because you're the mom. They sat on the deck and watched the helicopters <laughs> all day. They didn't do anything. They didn't pack anything. They didn't. They just sat and watched the helicopters because they thought it was pretty cool. Yep, that's sure. what they did. So well, they know. got into town, and at that point, we were evacuated because <laughs> the issue was is once you left your house. They had roadblocks set up, and they would not let you go back. And this was June 9th. Back in. So June 10th, nothing happened. At that time, uh, we were camped out at Java Junction, and Lorena Townsend, my good friend, uh, was the is the was the owner of the coffee shop at that point in time. And I'm just sitting there chewing my nails. I'm stressing. I'm pacing around. And a guy walks into the coffee shop, and he's like, yeah. "Hey, you know what? That fire. You think those firemen could use some?" some uh, water or some Gatorade or something. And it was like, hey, Tracy, why don't you start a fundraiser and get some food and stuff for the fire departments? There you go. Our, and except for the, yeah, yeah, except I was, for Northeast Teller County, the fire station in Woodland, they are the only fire paid fire station. Everybody else up here is volunteer fire department. So that's how you got involved then. Wow. So the guy threw down five bucks on the counter and says, here's for your, that's how I got started. Cause Lorena said, you're driving me crazy here. Go do something. Let's raise money for the fire departments. Not having any idea <laughs> what she it. had created. She created a monster. Now you got to remember, Diane, this was before right. Facebook. This was before Twitter. Yep. This was before all the social media stuff that we use today to get word and news out instantaneously. Uh, luckily, I had been running the the parade for a couple of years, and I'd been actively involved with tourism, uh, things that were going on in the community. Mm-hmm. So I had contacts at the news stations and the radio stations. So I got on the phone, and we right. decided to, uh, we went to, Vec- it was a Mountain National Bank at the time, and went down and opened an account right. and created the Firefighters Fund. And they helped us set up a fund there so we could mm-hmm. collect monies from people. And then we could take that money and go buy things if we needed to. But uh, we didn't end up needing to buy anything because I would go on the radio and the TV station each day. I had uh, contacted each of the chiefs at each of the fire stations for all of the volunteer fire departments that were right. actively involved in our central area here with the fire. Lake George, Four Mile, Divide, Mountain Communities. Uh, Woodland Park, Green Mountain Falls, and um, the West Creek area. And then up north of there was a little tiny fire department, Trumbull Fire Department as well. And 
created a wants mm-hmm. and needs list each day. So they would call me and let me know, hey, we need toilet paper. Hey, we need paper towels. We need Gatorade. We need water. Some sandwiches would be nice. And then we come to find out everybody... Mm-hmm. Clean underwear. Uh, yeah. So what we did was we got washers and dryers <laughs> donated. Nobody lived at the fire oh, stations. Wow. They're volunteer fire stations. They didn't have washers and dryers, but these right. guys were camping 24-7 at their at their individual fire stations. Yeah. So we, we had local businesses in yeah. Colorado Springs donated washers and dryers and delivered washers and dryers to all the fire departments. It was, I mean, it just turned into How this awesome. absolutely phenomenal response from the community to help out the people in Teller Park in Douglas County right here that were actively uh, being actively affected by the fire. So we were one of the very first families that were evacuated. Uh, Kenta heard about it actually on the news. They were at the airport in London getting ready to come back. And it came up on the news that there was a big forest fire in Colorado near Woodland Park. And all the kids are, they were in shock. It's like, so she's trying to call the house, but we weren't here because we were evacuated. And I think I actually said cell phones. I think this was pre-cell phone. I think we had pagers. I think I got a page. I was just thinking the same thing. I don't even think I got a phone call. I don't don't remember. Isn't it difficult thinking about no cell phones? Yes, it really is, especially in something like that. I mean, I, I was thinking we it had to be pre-cell phone because I know that we weren't in constant contact with you during all of this. We Right. We would hear more yeah, about it, it like every couple of I days or something. That's what it was. They texted mm-hmm. me on a pager. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, yeah. That's crazy. See, 20 years we're losing our memory now. And to too. think that you, well, yeah, for sure, uh, hourly. <laughs> um, to think that without the cell phones, without social media, what you all accomplished is just phenomenal. I mean, I, yep. I think to all of that. And it's, it's, it's crazy what you guys were able to do. I mean, you raised supplies and monies for all of the small volunteer fire, fire departments in the area and kept them fed and, and, you know, and raised money just from people just pouring money in right to, yeah. to Java Junction even, money. right? They just, they just kind of kept, kept in. Yeah. We had, we had uh, people that were dropping off stuff out in front of the stores and we actually had the, the mobile pods, those little mini pods, those were uh, oh, right. brought up and dropped at each of the fire department locations had one. And I think at one point in time, we had seven of them behind Java Junction along the backside of Gold Hill that we had full of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, I wow. mean, it was just incredible. And now this is the really cool part of it. Mm-hmm. Once, once the fire started, we found out from the hotshot crews that came into town, they said uh, that... A lot of communities looked down on them because they were just firemen. They went out and fought the fires. They weren't, you know, a, a white collar worker executive from somewhere. These guys were just men and women who went out and chopped down trees and put out fires. Uh, to us, they were heroes from day one. And we Absolutely. would we would go into the coffee shop at five in the morning open the coffee shop up for those guys to come in and get coffee or a latte or whatever they wanted before they would head out back to their camps um, and head out on the fires. They, uh, one of the things I'll never forget is they told us they had never been treated 
with the respect that we treated them with in any community that they had fought fires in in the past. They were just blown away by the love and the caring and the, you know, we expect to see you back here tonight. We want to know everybody got out of there safe and there weren't any, you know, you guys be careful while you're out there. And, you know, at least a handful of them every night would come back in and report in. They hung an incident map. Uh, There's a huge map of the fire area that they create at a forest fire right. situation when there's a situation. Mm-hmm. And they make lines and marks and notations on these maps, uh, you know, as they do their updates, reporting back where the fire's moving, what it's doing, you know, how hot it's burning, what type of fire it's mm-hmm. burning, whether it's ground or crowning out of control insanity. Uh, they, you know, they keep all of that stuff at the, at the main base command area for the fire but they put one of those maps up in java junction and Mm -hmm. they would come in every day and they would give us an accounting of where the fire is and what it was doing because i let them know my house was one of the houses out there it's kind of (laughs) mike got a good uh, laugh out of this we had a big coca-cola cooler on our deck at the time so they referred to our house as the coke house (laughs) (laughs) so they all knew where the coke house was (laughs) and we left the doors unlocked i'm sure so right. I put some some of our cats were missing in action. We weren't able to catch them, so they were putting food and water out for the cats. They were throwing mm. fish food in my aquarium for the fish, and the the firefighters were just mm-hmm. amazing guys. And use the phone, use the toilet, eat whatever's in the fridge that John didn't bring. <laughs> and um, right, <laughs> but they could always give us a report on where the coke house, how the coke house was doing, where the fire was. And um, this went on for days, and and they would not let you come back out to your home, even though the fire was blowing in another direction and wasn't here. It got. Right. Um, we had to fight with the sheriff's department and everybody. And we finally were able to get escorted because, like I said, our neighbors were, they were out of town at a show and they were able to get back and get some things out of their house. And um, mm-hmm. it, it was a, it was a battle to get up here. And they gave us like 30 minutes, get in, get what you need, 30 minutes and get out. And, and we're getting back out of here because there's only one right. road in basically and one road out. So if the fire was to trap us, there's nowhere to mm-hmm. go. There's no alternative routes to get out of the area. And this went on day after day after day. They were really trying to. You know, obviously they were doing their job and keeping you safe. Although you were really keeping yourself busy with all of this fundraising and putting all of your efforts and all of your energy into this, how were you feeling about your house and how, and and the things that you weren't able to grab and and the, your cats that were missing in action? Like that had to be coming up. It was all the horrible. time. It was the most stressful thing I've ever gone through in my life. I can't compare. Childbirth yeah. doesn't compare to how stressful this was. <laughs> And you've been through that. You know how stressful mm-hmm. childbirth is. No. The, if, yeah. You know, at the end of childbirth, yeah. you know the baby's going to come out. There's an end. <laughs> this didn't have any right. end in sight because mm-hmm. you didn't know what the fire was going to do. Is it going to turn? Is it going to change directions? There's no way for them to stop it. They had been pounding our area up here with slurry bombers. Uh, we had pink right. slurry everywhere. I called them pink Barbie trees when we got home because the sides of the trees were just coated with pink <laughs> pink slurry stain. The side of the house was coated with pink yeah. slurry stain. It also had blue slurry stain, which they swear to me there was no such thing as blue slurry. To this day, nobody has been able to explain to me what the blue stain on the side of my house and some of the buildings were. They How bizarre. I, exactly. So I don't know if there was some divine intervention in there that threw something blue on the house or what it was. But on 
June 18th, the fire blew up. You know, we're in town there at the, at the coffee shop, watching the smoke, watching the clouds, mm-hmm. watching the daily report from the firefighters. And the sky just exploded with smoke. And there were fire mm-hmm. tornadoes. The 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 mm-hmm. fires themselves create their own weather patterns, and they actually there were fire tornadoes right. that were created that day. And the fire it crowned and got so hot and burned so hot and blew so fast. And that was the day we stood there, the parking lot, the coffee shop, crying because we really thought this is it. It's uh, it's going to take right. it out. And that night, some of the firemen that came back in had been trapped up at Lutheran Valley Ranch, just a mile north of our house. And they were they were hunkered down in an open area. And as the fire blew around them and they all got out safe, oh my they followed the fire out and they said, when we passed your house, it was still there. But we don't know if it's still going to be there later. And it was just heart wrenching, just absolutely heart wrenching. How much time was that then when, when that was all happening before you knew your house was okay? Yeah, we didn't know. It was if, you know, you, we wait and you wait and you wait and then you wait some more. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have, uh, they were having nightly meetings at the high school where they would um, give their official report. We caught some flack actually, mm-hmm. because I've, I've been a journalist my entire life. I started out when I was in grade school being a reporter for the school paper, you know, Mm -hmm. going up through editor. I've worked for newspapers. I've published my own newspaper magazine. And being a honest journalism is very important to me. You get your facts straight and you report your Mm -hmm. facts. You don't put your opinion into things Mm -hmm. when you're talking about it, unless you're saying up front, this is my opinion. This is an editorial. This is my opinion. Otherwise, if you're a reporter, you should be reporting the facts. And getting facts from reliable sources. And we were pretty sure that our firefighters that were coming in daily were reliable sources. So we would share that information with people. People would come in. They would say, you know, what's the update from the cruise from last night? And we'd have that incident map on the wall. And we would say this, you know, this is what we understand. This is where the fire's been. And each day they would call different communities into the back room there at the high school and we never we went to one meeting Mm -hmm. and we're like oh my this is a total waste of time because we have much more accurate up-to-date information than what they're giving the general public at at these meetings and that was infuriating in itself because sad you want to know what's going on with your home you want to know what's going on with your neighborhood you want to know what's going on with your family and friends and they were so not very forthcoming with information at that point in time. And I guess they felt they were protecting people and they didn't want too much information mm-hmm. to get out too fast. So we never went to the meetings. Right. We just, after right. that, we we just relied on our sources that we had. Um, we got a phone call there at the coffee shop mm-hmm. that said, hey, they just called Wildhorn Subdivision into the back room. You guys need to get over here to the high school. So John and I hopped in the car, uh, you know, drove a few blocks over to the high school and and they're giving a report on what had happened with when the fire went through Wildhorn Ranch area. And so they're talking about this property and that property. And we saw, you know, uh, there was no house here. And we're going, that's not how our area is laid out. Didn't you send somebody up there who's been 
to Wildhorn Ranch subdivision before? And no, it was some new sheriff kid, deputy, that had never driven up here. He had no idea what was houses or what wasn't houses or what was a barn or what was a shed. (laughs) So he had no idea. You've got to be kidding. No, we just laughed. We just stood there and laughed at him and they were so mad at us. But it's like, you know, seriously? There have been been deputies up to our house before. We know that somebody on... There was nowhere... Yeah, they they just sent somebody up who wasn't even familiar with the neighborhood to try to assess whose houses were standing and whose houses had burned to the ground. And uh, I just, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, wow, I just can't believe you guys call us in here and you don't even have accurate information about what's what. And we went back and so was back to, you know, over to the, to the uh, coffee shop. And it's like, is the Coke house still there? And they're like, yeah, you're okay, Tracy. It's actually, it's still standing. It didn't burn. And we were like, thank heavens. But they said, so a lot of your neighbors are gone. Their places are gone. And it was, mm, that was heartbreaking. And no. then you end up with survivor's guilt because when uh, it was sure. first week of July, before we were allowed back to the house, because they had to wait till they got the, fires all down and out of control. I think they decided, oh, let's see. July 18th was when they finally said that the fire was totally contained. But as we were allowed to come back to the house, as we're driving down County Road 3 and County Road 33, there are still fires burning in trees along the side of the road. We had some of the fire department guys tell us- You're just looking at that going, wow. (laughs) And what are we going to, and it was, everything was yeah. black, 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 everything was black. It was black. I mean, the fire burned so hot, it just torched the, the ground and killed and burned everything. And, uh, but then we've got up to a little bit of higher area and that, and the fire actually jumps. It, it's, it, it, frog jumps. And so there'd be a swath of green trees and then there'd be, mm-hmm. then there'd be just devastation. So um, we really didn't know what to expect when we got, when we got back here, uh, we pulled around the curve. Hey, just a quick note. You're going to find a new logo, new colors, and a new look. Uh, when we put up the new logo and we put up the new artwork, it is still, one more thing before you go, it is still Michael Hurst and some brilliant guest. In addition, you just heard my wife, Diane Hurst. She's a fantastic guest host, as well as my co-host in another podcast. I hope you enjoyed her episode, and please keep in mind that we will be releasing at least once a week on Wednesday, possibly on Fridays as a throwback Friday while I'm still recovering from surgery. Diane will continue to, over the next couple of weeks, throw in occasionally as a guest host. So please bear with us while I recover from an extensive surgery, and thank you for being a listener. The, the difference between your neighbor's homes, the, the neighbors that lost their homes and yours, what what was the difference between that, do you think? None. None. The Forestry Service spent two weeks up really? there after the fire went through and they had a checklist and they would go through and check and they would determine. In fact, there's a whole report that's been done uh, that they published after the fire, which we got a copy of, and they called the Heyman Fire Case Study. And you can actually download that case study. Mm-hmm. is now available to download because it's been so long ago, you don't have to buy the book anymore. You can download the whole PDF file now. Right, right. And um, and in that case study, they would determine whether an area was destroyed by the crowning fire or by the heat of the fire or by the fire moving on the ground. A lot of the homes that were destroyed, it was from the heat in the eaves. 
uh, would blow ash up into the eaves of the houses and it would ignite the house. Okay. Um, Uh The eaves under our house were very dark. They were very dark. Our our Mm -hmm. house is a cedar-sided house and uh, up underneath the eaves was very dark. For whatever reason, it didn't ignite. For whatever reason, it didn't catch the deck on fire. The pile of firewood 10 feet away from our deck burned to a pile of ash. Mm-hmm. Um, the house did not catch on fire. There was uh, pine needles and pine cones and grass that were burned all the way up to the foundation of the house. The house didn't catch on fire. So after spending two weeks up here and evaluating the house and the circumstances, the investigator finally said, we don't know why your house is still here. It shouldn't be here. It should look like your neighbor's houses. So they couldn't explain why it didn't Divine burn. intervention? Well, I had a lot of friends and a lot of people that were putting a lot of positive energy into my little mm-hmm. kingdom here on the hill. And uh, Nancy Hartsfield, who was uh, the third of the three amigos, she was the third amigo. She's a nurse, a, a registered nurse, one of our very, very dear friends. She was the third person mm-hmm. in our uh uh, board that we formed for the firefighters fund. And she's like, Tracy, right. don't worry about it. Your house is safe. Your house is taken care of. You're doing good work here. Keep doing your good work. Your house is fine. And I'll be darned if she wasn't right. <laughs> it's still that's here. Right. Well, and that's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. All all the effort that you put into helping everyone else and especially the firefighters, you know, um, the universe rewards that. That's absolute, absolute proof to me, you know, if not any others, but you know, I, I think that's why yours was saved, you know, and I'm so glad it was because that was a scary, scary time. I, I know that the fire, if I remember right, and my memory is shot, but um, it came within three to five miles of the actual town of Woodland Park, right? Yes. Yeah. Woodland Park was on the cusp of being evacuated. Uh, they had already called in right. the National Guard. They had the National Guard was already in place, ready to go, if it would have gotten to Casey's mm-hmm. Lumber, north of Woodland Park. Um, yep. That was kind of yep. the line, that if it would have made it there. But the wind changed. And that, you know, with all of the thousands of gallons of fire retardant, all the, the thousands of firefighters that were out there, and all the efforts and fire line cutting, back burning, everything that they do to try to control a fire, it really comes down to Mother Nature. And the fact that the sure. wind changed direction and blew the fire back onto itself, that's what that's what helps put out the fire. And uh, right, right. it's it's just it's just such a feeling of being out of control. You have no control over the situation and you just have to sit back and take whatever happens because you cannot control it. You have no control over it. The weather is right. going to do its thing, and you just got to roll with the punches. We have one major highway going east and west, Highway 24, and that's the only way to get out of town. Mm-hmm. You're either going to drive up the mountain right. towards Divide, or you're going to drive south down into the canyon to the springs. Uh, terrible bottleneck right. situation if there's a forest fire. And uh, luckily... Yep. And that's why when Michael's sorry when Michael uh, got the call from, I think it was John his partner at the police department, um, Michael wasn't working, but he got the call from John. John said, they're getting ready to, they're, they're getting ready to get ready to evacuate. Right. It's not there yet, but if you want to avoid the bottleneck down the pass, I would say, get your stuff and get out. So we, we had another friend come up with a trailer and we, we grabbed what, what we felt would, we'd want, you know, that it would be absolutely necessary. And, and, uh, 
went down to the Springs to my mother-in-law's house, but, but the smoke, I remember Nikki, Nikki's always had an, you know, she's had asthma, not a huge case of asthma, but somewhat, you mm-hmm. know, and smoke was just really, really getting to her. So I think we had actually, if I remember right, sent her down to my mother-in-law's days before that mm-hmm. because she was just having a really hard time with it because the smoke would just hung over the town for days, yep. weeks, weeks, weeks. Uh, it was still there. We actually ended up having somebody loan us a camper that had contacted, uh, contacted us there at the coffee shop and said, Hey, we have a camper. We're not using this. Somebody need it. And it's like, actually we do. And we parked the camper right. in Whitney's, on a good friend, Whitney's right. uh, Wyckoff's front yard in Florissant. And we camped in her front yard. So that's yep. where we stayed during the fire. And I have pictures of John and JR and Kenta and the dogs in front of the camper there in Whitney's yard. So about how long after the fire started, did Kenta come back from her trip? That next from Europe? It was that following week they flew back because they were at the airport okay. in London getting ready to, to leave right. London to fly back when they saw So the, she was really there for a lot of it then? Um, gee, I'm trying to remember. I, I think you know, it was sometime that following week. So a good three, you know, two thirds mm-hmm. of the of the time she was she was there living in a camper with us, and she actually, you know, was able to go stay with some friends too. She didn't have to camp with Dad and I the whole time, which was good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was. How does she talk about that time now? Does she? She doesn't talk about it affecting her. No. She doesn't until she's now living in Oregon. She's out in Bend, Oregon, and mm-hmm. they just had those right. huge fires that went through Oregon and she called me crying, you know, she's up, she said, Mm -hmm. mom, it's, it's kind of just like it was then. And it, she, you know, so even as a, as a, as a young child, then she still has those memories of the stress of the fire and being out of control of the situation. Mm -hmm. And the fire out there was so much more horrible because the people were trying to evacuate. They were trapped in the highway and they were trapped and killed in their cars. And, we would watch the news at night and we would just sit and we just sit and cry. Uh, our heart, yeah. our hearts went out to those people because it could have been us. It could have been us in that situation. Yeah, it could have been the community of Woodland Park in that situation where the whole town mm-hmm. basically burned to the ground. Uh, we just got back from a trip. We went out to visit her for her birthday and she, we drove to the coast from Bend. And so we drove through some of those communities and the, it's it's new enough that all the dead standing trees, burned up trees are still there everywhere. Uh, Oregon's a logging community, so they're going to be bringing in the logging trucks right. and clearing out all those trees and uh, making use of those trees, which they did up here, too. That was devastating in itself. They bring in these. If you've ever seen mm-hmm. Fern Gully, <laughs> it was like Fern Gully. Oh, they I remember bring, the movie. Yeah, yep. They bring in the big machines and they start eating the trees. Yeah. And they ate all yep. the trees around here and took all the dead trees, most of them. Left some laying on the ground for uh, for water control, uh, which is another issue. And they're going to have that same issue in Oregon. And, uh, you know, the other mm-hmm. fires in Colorado, same thing. When you've got the ground burns sure. like that and you lose your ground cover, there's nothing to slow the water down. So even though we live on the top mm-hmm. of the hill... We still had water damage in the roads from the flash floods because when the water would come down, when there'd be a you know a storm and there'd be a bunch of water drop, mm-hmm. it's, it turns into a raging river going down the road. It was crazy. We had huge yeah. huge rocks and logs and burned trees and everything all over the road for months after the fire. Uh, as right, and, and so then the, so then they came out and dumped big huge 
straw bales that they haul those big giant straw bales in from Kansas and eastern Colorado, and they would mm-hmm. dump the straw bales and they'd fly over with the helicopters and drop the bale and it would explode when it hit the ground. Well, what lives in straw bales in eastern Colorado and Kansas? Pack rats. So the pack rats. I was just going to say were, rats. I didn't want to say it. Pack rats that were in the straw didn't die oh, when they hit no. the ground when the straw bales exploded. They now populate the area up here. So every summer we have to set traps. <laughs> These rotten pack rats. Oh my gosh. That will come in and devastate your greenhouse and garden. <laughs> Little parts. Yeah. It's bad now. I think finally wow. the natural predators, the coyotes, and everybody have caught up with them and have got them under control. But the first couple of years after the fire, it was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I mean, they weren't like your mainstream. They're not your mainstream rats. They're like a pack rat that live out in the, in the fields. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. But still. But still, yeah. And did you have your greenhouse then? We had it. Yeah, it was on the, did you have on your the south side of the house. Uh-huh. It's a, we just built a little uh-huh. recycled glass enclosed area to grow some tomatoes because the hail will take the tomatoes out of here. You've got to have them covered up. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. So so the, the rats were trying to get into that. Oh, yeah. They would they would come in and mow a plant down to the ground, make a little pile of leaves for you. So I go, thank you so much. <laughs> great. Just, just a little piece of out of the ground. Uh-huh. It was crazy. Uh, so, so yeah, those were just some wow. of the things. Um, back in the fundraising effort part of it, uh, you know, I was on the radio yeah. and the newspaper, uh, newspaper stuff was covering it, radio, TV. We ended up, so many mm-hmm. people wanted to help out and that we got the Colorado Springs Fire Department involved and they became drop-off points for people from the Springs who wanted to donate things. So, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. I said of the wants and needs list that we came up with, we'd say we need these things and people would go purchase those things and donate them to the cause and take them to those fire departments. And then we had volunteers that would load up their pickup trucks and bring all that stuff up the hill because we didn't want hundreds of people driving up the hill to bring us bottles of eyewash. Right. So it, it became right. a, uh, a really great idea. I don't even remember who came up with it to get the Colorado Springs Fire Department involved, but they ended up, and of all of the hundreds of trucks of stuff that came up the hill, I think only one truck drove away with stuff, which in itself is phenomenal. Wow. <laughs> Everybody's, Absolutely. Everybody wanted to help. Everybody wanted to do something. And that so that great. was what was so phenomenal about that whole that whole month. It was devastating. Mm-hmm. It's still devastating when you look out. All the trees are gone. Was, you know, when I look out my back door, there's still mm-hmm. little sticks out there in big open areas. But there's new little pine trees that are coming back that are two or three feet tall now. And the aspen trees are coming back great. and grow. So we do have growth in, in, from a biological standpoint because my degree is in animal sciences, pre-vet, uh, you know. From a biology, ecological standpoint, it's very interesting watching things come back. The plants come back. The animals come back. Uh, One of the really bizarre things was that we've always had hummingbirds at our house up here. And uh, we had, Mm -hmm. after the fire, the hummingbirds were still here. They didn't leave. (laughs) But there's no flowers. There's no nothing for them. I was just going to say there there wasn't anything for them. This is where they are this summer. So all these hummingbirds are like, well, now what are we supposed to do? Because all of our food sources have been burned up. We had 10 hummingbird feeders 
on our deck that we were filling twice daily. And we had hundreds of hummingbirds that would come daily. And finally, they started dwindling down. They started figuring out, or I guess we need to move on. And what's really crazy about that now is hummingbirds have memory and they know where the food sources are. So we're now almost 20 years later. So we know the descendants of those hummingbirds are the hummingbirds that are still coming up on our deck today. Well, they're not here yet. But they'll oh, be here any so day. Awesome. They're going to show up uh, and have those hummingbirds from their great, great, great grandparents <laughs> that, were, that were flying around wow. during the Haman fire still coming to our house. And uh, uh, that, wow, was, that is something. So that was crazy. The hummingbirds, um, they, yeah. they stuck it out after the fire and they hung around for a while before they started heading out to other areas to find more foraging. They liked my sugar water mix, I guess. After the, after everything was said and done and they, they did the, the investigation when, when the news started coming out about how it started, did that bring up a whole nother, I would imagine, um, kind of a different, a different way? I didn't know Terry Barton very well. I, I knew who she was. Uh, this was the forest research mm-hmm. person. Um, I guess supposedly the way the story goes was that uh, she was estranged from her husband and her therapist had suggested that she burn some letters from him or something to um, help her yeah. in her healing process from the breakup. Well, she chose to go out to mm-hmm. old campfire out by Lake George, a campfire pit there and burn it there. And the wind picked it up, blew it up into the trees. Mm-hmm. And there you go. It started. I really right. felt sorry for her. Right. Uh, People were angry. People wanted to lynch her. Her kids, her daughters Mm -hmm. were verbally abused and assaulted in school. I felt sorry for them. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I didn't want to do anything physically or mentally. I just can't imagine where she was at through all of that. It had to have been horrible for her. I just felt really bad for the whole situation that trying to do something to heal yourself from a, a situation you were trying to get out of uh, and to move on from turned into such a, a horrible, horrible thing. You know, the the few people that lost their lives, the firefighters and the, the heart attack, we we got off really lightly with, with loss of life, human life, the loss of animal life. I can't even imagine the bears and deer and elk and rabbits and squirrels and foxes. We actually had a fox that was coming up and eating cat food from the cat food bowl after the fire because there weren't any mice around. The ground fire took out the mice. It was so hot. Right. Um, so they were coming up crunching in the cat food bowl at night. And they're black foxes. Do you know red foxes turn black? Red foxes can be I did black. not know that. I didn't know that either until we had black foxes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we have black foxes. <laughs> I but, but they're actually red foxes. Wow. They just have black coats. There's your science huh. tip for the day. Well, that's that. It's good that uh, they were able to find something, you know, find food. Yep. You know, yep. of course, right next, you know, at the Coke house, of course. Because the Coke house, <laughs> yep, we were feeding everybody. <laughs> Come on over. <laughs> we got a buffet for everybody. Oh, goodness. So, wow. Yeah. But uh, all of the stuff that we had had received, we would have the hotshot fire crews would come into the coffee shop and it would be, what do you need? You need underwear, you need gloves, you need T-shirts, you need socks. And those were some of the items Mm -hmm. that I was requesting to be donated. And we would have a trailer set up with clothes in the back, one of those pods, and we would just open up the doors and say, okay, go Mm -hmm. ahead. So these hotshot crews ended up completely re-outfitting themselves with stuff that they needed. Backpacks, Mm -hmm. eye wash, gloves, 
I just I can't even remember. One lady had uh, made some pickled okra and had hand hand canned pickled okra. <laughs> These guys love this pickled okra. They were going crazy over it. Uh, How funny! But uh, but of, I mean, of actually, all things, yeah, of all things, the pickled okra was a hot number. The, the firefighters really liked that. Uh, we ended up raising <laughs> over a hundred thousand dollars cash. So and we're. Wow. Just guesstimating. It was just a guesstimate over a million dollars worth of supplies just because there was so much. The Salvation Army yeah. and the Red Cross were coming to us for supplies. <laughs> that said a lot. Wow. Uh, we actually had the, the they actually, the, their director showed up at the coffee shop to talk to us and said, you know, you sure you guys should be putting out this information. It shouldn't it come from the official source. And we're like, we are an official source. <laughs> and we even made it right. in the Hayman Fire case study on page, oh, what page are we on? 359. It mentions Java Junction Coffee Shop being one of the reliable sources for information during the fire. <laughs> so, that's amazing. So it's actually in the case study. Yeah, you were, you were more of an official, you guys were more of an official resource than, than anyone. So they just, you know, their feelings were hurt. Because you guys were doing such a great job. And, you it know. was. And I wasn't going to you know, slow feelings down. Feelings are hurt. So. Okay. I'm a responsible journalist. I, I stuck to my guns. That's right. That's right. There there have been two more fires that have actually surpassed the Heyman fire um, in the size in yeah. the last year. And uh, Lorena mm-hmm. actually called me and she said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And it's like, you know what? Um, we don't need to do anything because now there's Facebook, Twitter, all these other social media Mm-hmm. And and it was it was actually a sense of relief that what we had started almost 20 years ago and created this sense of community for people to help out during the fire that mm-hmm. other people picked up, picked up where we left off and did the fundraising and raised money for the fire departments and took care of the firemen and did those things that Lorena and Nancy and I did with the help of a lot of people 20 years ago. So it's it was it was really special to see Colorado's a great community. <laughs> Absolutely. And the the fire that uh, was just in, I believe, September, October, outside of Estes Park, where I grew up, that's what they were doing. They were raising funds and, and really taking care of the firefighters as it was happening. And the firefighters just really came through and, you know, they saved so many homes. You know, there were some that were lost, of course, but it could have been so much worse. Those firefighters just worked tirelessly. And I can't imagine, you know, how you were saying that at least back in the day, they felt like they didn't get the respect, you know, that they deserved. I hope that's changed since then. I I think it has. I feel like, you know, when I see things on the news, it's, it's very positive, you know, to the firefighters and and what they do and, and everyone seems very supportive of them. So uh, hopefully that's changed. Maybe we helped start that. Maybe we were that. Maybe you did. Maybe we were that turning point because every, Everything's got everything's got energy and everything's related to energy. And so I think what we put out there and created, I think, has expanded and hopefully it'll continue to help people, other people when they get into a similar situation that we were in. And I'm still so grateful today to all of the thousands of people that stepped up and gave a dollar or gave a bottle of water or whatever it was to to help mm-hmm. out and to keep me sane because they kept me busy. <laughs> I needed to stay busy and I, I was really busy. I was going to say <laughs> you needed the distraction and you got it. I so. definitely got it. There's no doubt yep. about that. What are you doing now? Um, well, when what, all of what, that, what's going on now? 
<laughs> when all of that was said and done, when we finally got back to the house and cleaned up all the soot and the and the slurry and, and got our lives settled back down mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, a dinosaur museum actually opened up in Woodland Park, and I went to work for them doing marketing because mm-hmm. uh, of my tourism mm-hmm. experiences. I was helping them, and I quickly moved from marketing the museum to selling dinosaurs worldwide for the facility. And I was there for eight years before it was uh, it was time to move on. So John and I actually started our own company, Dinosaur Brokers, and. Mm -hmm. started building dinosaurs at our house. So we've built a T-Rex, a couple of T-Rexes in our backyard and uh, eight. (laughs) And then it's been, gosh, it's been nine years now. Uh, One of the good friends we'd made in the paleontology world, Bill Mason had a company, Paleo Bond, Mm -hmm. which is a highly refined Mm -hmm. cyanoacrylate that's used on fossils and minerals. He was 80 years old. He was looking to retire and, uh, So we approached him and decided it was a good fit. So we took over his company and we are now the, the, glue experts in the paleontology and mineral world. Uh, I, we get phone calls daily from people. And our big thing is, you know, we can we can sell stuff. So here, here's some really good, really good adhesive. You need to buy this and let them buy it and go on down the road. But we are only as successful as a company as our customers are successful. So it's very important to us. Right. And something that Bill instilled in us is that you need to teach people how to use your product because if they know how to use it mm-hmm. and they're successful about it, they're going to tell everybody about it. If they're not successful about it, they're going to tell everybody your stuff sucks. <laughs> we don't have right. that problem. <laughs> yep. it's, it's great because so I got three phone three new phone calls today from people going, "Hey, we heard about your stuff from so and so, and we need to get some. How do we use it?" So and so uh, they they use this not necessarily during archaeological digs, but when they no, are trying to put the pieces together. Paleontological. Paleontology's dinosaurs. Okay, paleontology. <laughs> Even though okay. we do have archaeologists, well, you know, who use our glues as well. Uh, yeah, we have a field consolidate okay. that's a, a weak adhesive that's used to hold stuff together when it's out in the field until they bring it back into the sh- into their labs. Uh, and then we okay. have a okay. really, really, really good stabilizer that'll soak into that fossil and bond and hold it together. So it'll last forever. It's not going to degrade and fall apart. And we found that the adhesives work wow. great for minerals as well. So if you've got uh, a lot of times a pendant that you might have that's got a stone in it, that stone may have some uh-huh. cracks and stuff in it when they were cutting that stone. They could use penetrant stabilizer on that to hold that together so that your your jewelry will stay together forever. So we've we've really expanded. Wow, so there's lots of uses for it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've got a, a guy in Oregon who makes microscope slides of very thin cut minerals. So if you imagine mm-hmm. just having the cells of a mineral, uh, it, mm-hmm. it's phenomenal. The stuff uh, the stuff he does is phenomenal. And he's using our adhesives to put his slides together. We have a UV adhesive that we're just introducing. So it's uh, you use the adhesive, then you hit That's it with a UV really cool. to cure it. So it's the, yeah, it's, we're still in the science world and I'm still kind of indirectly in yeah. the animal world, <laughs> even though the animals have been, yeah. they've been gone for thousands and millions of years but we're still working with them so that's what's been keeping us well, sure i mean that we've traveled all over the world we've been to europe we've been to hong kong and we have uh we have specimens that john's made that are in museums universities and private collections all over the world it's been a lot of that's fun. great uh and traveling exhibits too uh right now we have we created a dinosaurs and meteorites 
exhibit with Jeff Notkin, who is the owner, uh, CEO of Airlight Meteorites. He also was one of the stars of the Meteorite Men, uh, which was a TV show that was on Discovery Channel and Science Channel a number of years oh. ago. He's, he's a British dude. He talks cool. in Britain, so he's got a British accent. He's such a character. He used to be a rock star. He's actually got a book about his life when he was a rock star. And we, we've got wow. a exhibit with dinosaurs and meteorites that we take around to different museums. So that gives John and I a chance to travel, set up the exhibits, hang out yeah. for a while. So we'll be heading out to Sherman, Texas, the end of May with that exhibit. So yeah, paleontology is a fun business. Absolutely. And you're getting back out there after the uh, pandemic. And uh, I mean, we're still kind of getting into post pandemic, but you're going to be able to travel again. Yeah. So that's yep. great. Keeps us going. That's it's a lot good. of fun. So as this is one more thing before you go, is there any wisdom that you can share with everyone who are maybe going through the same thing? Or I, I would I would say probably um, like what you just said about everything is energy and everything is connected and you know, it, it can help bring people together and uh, give a sense of community. So what, what would you say to that? The sense of community is huge. Uh, you've got, mm-hmm. it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to create a family. Your family is not just those mm-hmm. people that were born with the same genetics as you are. A family or those people that you interact with and see every day. And with the pandemic that we've been going through and the keeping everybody away from each other, I think has been so hard on everybody. You can still keep that sense of community in your heart because you can care about those Mm -hmm. people. You can check in on those people. You can leave some soup on their front porch, you know, take a lasagna pan over. Uh, There's still lots of things that you Mm -hmm. can do even now, even if there's not a fire. Oh, and by the way, always have a box of your stuff ready to go. (laughs) No matter where you live, if there's a fire. With clean underwear. Have some clean underwear in that box, just in case (laughs) you're going to get a, that you've got to leave on a, ready to leave on a moment's notice, but. But watch out, watch yeah. out for well, your Well, especially friends. if you, if you live in, if you live up in the mountains, especially. You got a lot I of mean, trees around. You know, well, that, well, even though, you know, yeah. you look at one of those fires in Colorado Springs, it came right down the hills into the neighborhoods. And yes, you, it I did. don't know if you, yes, it did. I guess if the trees are nearby and the winds blow in the right direction, you could always have a situation. But yeah, I, I, I guess yeah. my biggest takeaway from all of that is that it's not about you. It's about taking care of everybody else to the best of your ability, being the best person that you can be to help out your fellow Mm -hmm. man and, and, and just step up when you need to step up and, and be there for other people. That's, that's my big point, I think. And I think that is a great way to end this. And I hope everyone takes that to heart because it is awfully important. So thank you, Tracy. It's been great talking to you again. (laughs) Great catching up. Yeah. We will have to do it again sometime. Oh, I have plenty of other things to talk about. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. And if, if for some reason I do end up with my own podcast, I don't know if that's going to happen or not, then I will have you back because it's going to be about women, strong women, empowered women. So we will have your website information and all of uh, that in the show notes so that people can contact you. And uh, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, 
share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go, have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.